this tradition, this new tradition. Who knew a 60-year-old church could have new traditions? But a few years ago, we started listing the names. And of course, that list is never quite comprehensive. You may remember somebody who we didn't hear about that we didn't get on that list. And some of those names may, you may have thought, oh no, I didn't know that that person. And we remember their lives. And particularly as we begin a new worship series called The Unshakable Kingdom, we come in Hebrews chapter 12 to this discussion of the great cloud of witnesses who surround us and we fix our eyes on Jesus and it rises. Hebrews 12, I've been wanting to teach this all year and I finally feel freedom and permission from the Lord to teach it, but Hebrews chapter 12 for the next four weeks rises to this crescendo. Our God is a consuming fire and we are receiving an unshakable kingdom. And I thought this week as I heard about that earthquake over in San Francisco and uh, I think it was a 5.1 on the Richter scale. And just as we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking, what is my earliest memory? And it may be because my parents told me about it or because it was just so vivid, I couldn't forget it. But I remember in Anchorage, Alaska, that pots on the stove as my mom was cooking supper started jumping. And I had never seen pots jump before. The sofa, as I recall it in our living room, slid back and forth across the room. My mom says that others who lived in our trailer park in Anchorage, Alaska, ran to go and get a family member, and along the way, the, the earth literally opened up and closed. And in Anchorage today, there's a place called Earthquake Park that remembers one of the, the worst earthquakes in history. So fast forward to when I was six or seven years old, seven years old in East St. Louis, Missouri, or East St. Louis, Illinois. And, and there one day, I was with my mom and I think my best friend, Tommy Schmidt, and we were just standing there in the living room and the whole, and my mom remembered Anchorage and she put us under the table because there was another earthquake. If you've ever been through an earthquake, you do not compare it to any other natural disaster. It is essentially different because the very foundation of life is shaken. And the writer of Hebrews says, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You and I are receiving a kingdom, and if there's a kingdom, there has to be a king. And he reminds us that as we're receiving this kingdom with unshakable faith, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Would you open your Bibles with me? I'll just have time to introduce it this morning. But Hebrews... We'll start with chapter 11, verse 39, just two verses there in 11, and then three verses in chapter 12. If you're wondering who the great cloud of witnesses is, go back and read Hebrews chapter 11 this week and hear him say again and again, by faith, by faith, by faith, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac 
and Jacob, and the list goes on. All these people who lived by faith and somehow made it into the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord. And the writer of Hebrews says, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Every letter we write has some context, some setting, what was happening, why, why does the writer of Hebrews write this book, this sermon, some call it, why does he tell about the people who by faith, by faith, by faith were able to trust God in the most difficult circumstances in the world? Why? Why does he write this letter to those people at that time? And what in the world does it have to do with us? And it turns out that the first recipients of this letter were people who were exhausted, who were just about ready to throw in the towel, who were saying, what's the point? Some of them had even given up meeting together with the church. They were, in the title of Philip Yancey's book, those who sort of said, church, why bother? And the writer of Hebrews says to them, if you could take a moment to remember the ones who went before you, who lived by faith, you would discover that their faith and your faith have continuity because they trusted and you trust in the same Savior. And if you could keep your eyes on him, you would be able to withstand whatever comes your way, come what may. And in this um, world of seismic shifts. I know we pastors are given to hyperbole, but would anybody in this room contradict the fact that we live in a day of seismic shifts? 
And in this day of seismic shifts, there are earthquakes, there are medical earthquakes, there are economic earthquakes, there are truthquakes, for heaven's sake, there are political earthquakes, there's all kinds of earthquakes. Can I just remind you that in the scriptures, one of the ways that God reveals his power. Think Isaiah 6 when Isaiah is in the temple and the foundations of the temple itself shook. Think about that prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4 and 5 when the people of, of God in the church in Jerusalem were being beaten and persecuted and threatened for the sake of Christ and they prayed and the place where they were meeting was shaken. Somebody said about Job, and I understand there were goats here last week. Is that true? How can that be true? I was going to preach on Jonah, but I mean, what do you do after that? I mean, you can't like bring a whale here. But Job, whose faith was shaken and a a beautiful um, Jewish scholar named Abraham Heschel says, faith like Job's cannot be shaken because it's the result of having been shaken. Believe me when I say that the earthquakes of our world do not have to be faithquakes. We have an unshakable kingdom because we have an unshakable faith. How so? Just a few things. Let me just outline them for you. First, with unshakable faith, We listen to the stories of the great cloud of witnesses. You see the picture. We're running a race, and it turns out we're in a stadium, like the end of a marathon in the Olympics. And you run into the stadium, and maybe you're looking up in the stands as you're making your last lap, and for heaven's sake, Frank Shorter is there in the stands, and he has run the Olympic marathon, and now you are running the Olympic marathon. He says, while you're trying to live your faith in an earth-shattering circumstance, believe me, there are people whose faith withstood earthquakes before, and they're in the stands, and it's tempting for us to sort of think, well, they're watching us, but I think the point of this is we're watching them. We see them. We remember their faith, their unshakable faith. And why did they need unshakable faith? Going back to Hebrews 11, just those last verses, starting with verse 36, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. We come from a long line of people who persevered, who stood in the strength of grace, as John Bailey put it in his prayer. I thank thee that this Christian way whereon I walk is no untried or uncharted road, but a road beaten hard by the footsteps of saints and apostles and prophets and martyrs. 
This is a beautiful thought for us that the great cloud of witnesses, the word he uses is not the word theotai, people sitting in a theater, but the word marturon, which gives us our word martyr. The witnesses in the great cloud are those who gave testimony by their lives that what we believe is really true. And just this week, what a cataclysmic whiplash of emotions this week, even in the life of our congregation. Friday night was one of those times when I needed to be several places at once with a family grieving the loss of their young son, with a young couple who usually sits right up here as they were getting ready for their wedding rehearsal for the wedding yesterday, which preceded the funeral yesterday. And oh, oh, by the way, right in the middle, somebody said it, there was, after all, a dunking booth. And how does one survive a dunking booth? And then I realized that my great cloud of witnesses included Brother Carlos, who was also in the dunking booth before me. And there were others there, Casey and I think Sean may have gotten dunked the most. The problem with life is that you get dunked. It turns out Lydia is lethal. Where is Lydia? She, uh, she's ambidextrous, left hand, right hand. She'll get you. She's coming for you. And in this world, we listen to these stories. This is why Hebrews 11 is so powerful. The story we're called to tell and live and die by Someone said, the story we're called to tell and live and die by, we have this quote, is one of risk confronted, of death embraced. What's more, Jesus calls us to walk the narrow way. We talked about that two weeks ago, to take up a cross with him daily. It's terribly risky business. Ask that bright company of martyrs that quite recklessly parted with their goods, their security, their life itself, preferring to be faithful in death rather than be safe in life. With unshakable faith, we listen to the testimonies, the stories of the saints. Second, with unshakable faith, we leave sin Behind, He says, if you're going to run the race, you've got to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I remember at one point, one of our sons, you all know our sons, one of our sons is tall, and he was a basketball player, I think, from the moment he was born. And our other son is not as tall. I think that's the safe way to say that. He has other gifts. But he thought Brooks' boys played basketball because his older brother did. And so I remember when his older brother went out for basketball and made the team. And the day that he went out for basketball, I was standing outside waiting for him to come out because I knew he wasn't going, even with all the good of Tallowood basketball and all that he had been taught, he was not going to make the school team. And he didn't. And I expected him to be so discouraged. And he came out and said, Dad, I've decided to run cross country. I had never known him to run a step in his life. <laughs> he was more likely to be found eating potato chips on a couch. But in that moment, I said, tell me why. And he said, Dad, there are 17 girls, and I'm the only guy. <laughs> Makes perfect sense to me. I went out to his first race. It was one of those days when it had been cool, and then it got warm again. And I thought, I better be there for him. And I looked as I was getting out of the car. I was actually talking to one of our guests for our church. And as I, 
as I was talking to this person, I looked and saw my son walking up to the starting line on an 82-degree afternoon wearing full sweats. And I thought, no, this is not good. This is, this is not a good way to run a race. And I said, I'll call you back later. And I ran across, I ran in my suit across the field and said to my son, you got to take the sweats off. Why? They feel good, but they won't feel good when you get, you, you're not going to run your best race. I remember saying to Melanie, I, I hope he finishes the race. Well, who knew? He has a good uh, exchange of oxygen from his lungs to his blood vessels to his legs, apparently, because uh, when that race started, he took off as fast as he could. He didn't win that race, but he came in, in second in that race out of all those kids, and I thought, we found something he can do. But if he had worn those sweats, he would not have come in second place in that race. We can't live the Christian life and hold on to the sins that weigh us down. So we release them. He says, throw these things away with unshakable faith. We listen to the stories. We leave the sins behind with unshakable faith. We live our lives with faithful endurance. Another way to say that is we last. So listen to what he says, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses throwing off we run the race that's marked out for us with endurance, with perseverance. Just this weekend, a couple of examples from the life of our church. Uh, Sarah Miller, uh, who is now Sarah Strachan, she sits up here, and um, she was married yesterday morning, about 11.25, as best I can tell, is when she became Mrs. Strachan, and um, so her grandfather walked her down the aisle. It's the first time I ever met him. Um, and uh, they were concerned for him. He's got stage four cancer. He can no longer see. But he was determined to walk his granddaughter down that aisle. And uh, I watched him. I met him. And when I said to him at the rehearsal that night, so I love your family. He turned his head toward me and said, yeah, I love the Lord. And everything I said in the wedding, I could hear him saying, amen, amen, amen. Endurance. We come from a long line of people who persevere. It turns out that we finish. We are finishers. Maybe you'll see, I see it in the park sometimes, somebody who's run a marathon, and it doesn't say on their, on their shirt, starter. What does it say? Somebody tell me what it says. Finisher. It doesn't say whether they were a five-hour marathoner or a three-hour marathoner. All it says is they finished. They endured. Blessed is the one, James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Is that you? Do you love him? Because Jerry looked at me and said, I love the Lord. And he loved his granddaughter and he endured. And then we were on holy ground in this room yesterday when the mom and dad of a young boy 
a young man, a 26-year-old young man, stood in this very pulpit and said, let Christ be your identity, and Jesus is the bread of life. Make him your life, and the courage, and the endurance, and the perseverance of parents who are, who are crying out and hurting inside, and yet they are saying, by God's grace, we will stand. And sometimes, by the way, that's all we can do. Not just somehow, but triumphantly. What we do is we stand. We keep on standing. We may not even be able to walk forward sometimes, but by the grace of God, we can stand and withstand. We can endure. We can persevere. When William Wilberforce was ready to give up, he received a letter from John Wesley who was close to his deathbed, Wilberforce, who was fighting the good fight against slavery. He was so discouraged. Somebody in my hearing this morning is discouraged. I know that. This is what Wesley wrote. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and the devil. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God, in the power of his might, till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. And Wesley died six days later. But Wilberforce fought on for 45 more years. And in 1833, three days before his own death, slavery was abolished in Britain because he did not give up. And we, the writer of Hebrews says, we are not the ones who shrink back. We are not quitters. We go on. We go on by the grace of God. And finally, with unshakable faith, we look to the Savior. You say, Pastor, I have no idea how I would go on from here. I'm discouraged. I'm disheartened. I'm like the children's book, Alexander. I've had a very bad, terrible, horrible, no good, awful day, week, month, year, years. Pastor, you have no idea what I've been through. And I'm telling you, the only answer I know. So you say, well, I just remember that great cloud of witnesses. Well, they're helpful. I don't know who's in your cloud. This morning I woke up, I'm honest, I'm honest when I tell you, I'm a little bit physically tired. And I woke up this morning and the first thought was his mercies are new today and I'm on a text chain with an amazing group of pastors in this city and we have a race every Sunday morning to see who gets to encourage the others first. And I won this morning. And I just wrote them a note and I said, his mercies are new today. That's all I said, just five words. His mercies are new today. And then it started. It was a deluge of encouragement. And I gave a little encouragement and I got a lot of encouragement. And one of them sent us a song and I played the song and the song went into another song. And the song was the song my mom used to sing when I stood beside her in worship. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, Precious Jesus, I love to hear her sing that. I can hear her sing that because he was precious to her. Oh, for grace to trust him more. She's in my cloud, but I'm not looking to mom. I'm not looking 
to my friend Roger Duck. I'm not looking to these who have been so faithful and have gone on to glory. No, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at Jesus. Because if you want to know somebody who endured and persevered, well, he's the best. As our kids say, he's the goat, the greatest of all time goat. He he went all the he scorned the shame of the cross because he saw the joy that was before him and then he sat down that's good he sat down at the right hand of the throne of god with unshakable faith we look to the savior why because he's the pioneer he started this whole thing he who began a good work in you paul says that's jesus and what does he say after that he who began being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He's the pioneer of our faith. He started it. He's the perfecter of our faith. He will finish it. And here's what you need to know about him. He's unshakable. And the power of our faith is not subjective that is our ability to hold on to God no it's objective the power of our faith is its object and his name is Jesus they learned early on I understand a preacher so it must be true Earl Palmer over in California endured uh, a great earthquake over there and he said what we discovered from that 8.2 on the Richter scale earthquake was this that the house's that were attached to their foundation stood. They stood. The ones that were not attached to their foundation, that were just built on top, but were not bolted to the concrete. Look, they all did this. Remember Jesus in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. The rain's going to fall. The, the streams are going to rise. The wind's going to blow, and it's going to beat against your life. But if your foundation is on the rock, attached to the rock, Jesus, you will stand. And otherwise, your, your life is built on sand. Here is the good news, brothers and sisters. Our faith is as strong as its object. His name is Jesus. And you and I, like that great cloud of witnesses, are living out our faith. And someday, somebody's going to see us in the cloud of witnesses. And may our testimony be that we were faithful. As Steve Green used to sing, oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful, with unshakable faith, we are receiving an unshakable kingdom. Pray with me. Father, we have only one life, and it will soon be passed, and only what is done for you will last. So, Lord, let us do things that last. Give us unshakable faith. The world is going to quake, but we don't have to quake. The world is afraid, but we don't have to be afraid because we know the one who has overcome the world. 
Help us to put all of our trust in you today. Oh, for grace to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.